So, coronavirus, <laughs> COVID-19, why don't we have a vaccination? And will there be a vaccination? And when will there be a vaccination? Jan? We don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Nobody does. Isn't this a fun game? <laughs> Welcome to the From Quarantine podcast, a weekly dose of dry humor from two Americans living in the heart of Europe. Hosted by January Newbanks and Tassie Gibson. Hello, everyone. Welcome to episode one of season two of From Quarantine. You may notice a couple differences around here, the main one being that we are recording weekly instead of daily. So things will change a little bit. Um, We're still trying to aim for the 35 to 50 minute window per episode, but they'll be structured a little bit differently with a little less talk about updates from the Czech Republic and a little bit more focused on the world around us and what's going on in the greater global community as we venture out of our houses and our flats and back into society. Also, on this particular episode, we have two very special canine guests who make a couple of cameos as Tassie and I talk, so don't be surprised if you hear a bark every now and then. It's just kind of the nature of the beast, (laughs) literally, of uh, recording from home with animals. It happens. As always, thank you for listening. Thanks for following us into season two. And without further ado, I present to you episode one. Hello, Tassie. Hi. It feels like it's been so long. Oh my God, it has been so long. I've had so many comments from people that are like, that you said the podcast would be out on Tuesday. And <laughs> like, I meant Tuesday of the following week. So yeah. we're giving our ourselves fans. a little bit of a break. Otherwise, it would be the same, same like rat race to get the episodes up. So. If you're listening and you were disappointed we didn't put something out last Tuesday, I'm really sorry. Um, we we will be from now on posting something every <laughs> Tuesday. Um, and we have kind of an end date in mind at the end of summer. Um, yeah, we have for, plans. plans. For this particular, yeah, we have a secret plan. Um, but for this particular podcast, like we're going to continue to talk about uh, life not necessarily in quarantine anymore because there's been some changes just yes. changes so um czech republic is opening up <laughs> and by yep. that i mean we can go outside of our flats <laughs> yes so there are changes um we in the Czech Republic have had really low numbers for some time. There was no Easter bump, which everyone was expecting since people went out at Easter and met friends and family, there would be yeah. an increase in cases, but that did not happen. So... Yeah. Easter is a really social holiday in the Czech Republic. So um, for there not to be an Easter bump, that's pretty great. Yeah. Um, so yeah, there's uh, there was a long time schedule of opening that went through June um, which would open up different businesses on different time scales and according to how big they were and blah, blah, blah. But actually that's been um, scaled back so that everything should open by the end of May. And actually yeah. I'll even be doing some in-company classes soon. That's exciting. Uh-huh. I mean, sort of. <laughs> <laughs> 
there's part of me that's like there's a really big part of me i'm not gonna lie that's like i kind of like that i can stay in my little bubble as long as i want to talk to a lot of people um from like a teenager who's in high school to my student who has worked in his company for 20 years and everyone says the first three weeks were hard but now the hard part will be going back (laughs) yeah it's true I think everyone's used to those slow mornings and having you know your breakfast and uh, mm-hmm. not commuting and factoring in that time to waking up and going somewhere. It's true. So, so we will see, like, you know, these things change literally day to day, every day when you open up the news, they've adjusted something. There were questions about how the restaurants will open if we're still wearing face masks, because we are still wearing face masks. Um, yeah. And so, you know, they've had to kind of redesign, retalk about blah, 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 different things. So it, we don't want to say too much because by the time this goes out, there will be things that have changed. But yeah, it mm-hmm. looks like things are going to return to people outside their home in the next yeah. four weeks. Yeah. In fact, they've already opened up the farmer's markets and, yeah. um, and parks are now like packed with people. I'm sure the forest is the same way. Um, but it's interesting because Tassie, you and I have been chatting and comparing notes in your part of the city. It seems like there are a lot more rule followers than in mine. Yeah. Because you said that you have seen most people not using their mask or probably not using it correctly. Right. 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 That it's down around their nose or something. Yeah. Most people have pulled it off their nose at this point. So it's just hanging off like the very tip of your nose. Mm -hmm. Um, or slightly under and like I went to the farmer's market the other day and bought some plants there's a very small one it does it's it doesn't get very busy Um, that's close to my house and on my route to walk Gus and um, I noticed that there were a lot of things like they had like the plastic up in front of all the goods so that you know people don't touch the only the person who is wearing the gloves behind the uh the the seller is um touching the things that are for sale uh that's not the case with produce but they do provide plastic bags so that you can grab and they have the sanitation stations I yeah they all have there's water jugs um and there's uh to clean off your hands before you use sanitizer because like as we talked about on our soap episode um sanitizer is not entirely useful if your hands are sweaty or dirty so Mm. um so your hands need to at least get a little rinse before or use baby wipes before you use the hand sanitizer or else it doesn't really do anything um or it doesn't do much so um so yeah so they are taking precautions but people are like really over the masks i'm noticing a lot of like people shuffling to put the mask back on when they see you coming around a corner or (laughs) Yeah, you know, like bikers have it like down underneath their noses so they can continue to bike through, and old people are just like, no. <laughs> yeah, it's interesting because I haven't felt that uh, like, but of course in the parks, um, 
I mean, we have a brewery in our park. So people are obviously like taking the mask off, having a drink of beer, putting it back on, or they're sitting without yeah. their mask on their own blanket. But definitely people like everyone else is a good uh, few meters away from them. Um, uh-huh. So, but I feel like if I'm walking on the street, almost everyone has had it on. Did you see the pictures from uh, the farmer's market on along the river on the Plavka? No, but I heard that there were tons of people down there. Oh my gosh. It was like an aerial shot kind of maybe shot from like the street level where like uh-huh. they were down on the bank level, you know? Um, and it was just like a mass of humanity. And they were like, maybe not Easter bump, but we might see farmers a bit of a bump, bump from this. A farmer's market <laughs> bump. Yeah. I was like, hmm, yeah, those people aren't two meters apart. In any by any stretch of the imagination. <laughs> yeah. Well, you and I have talked about maybe in an upcoming episode talking about this, but um, reimagining uh, what society looks like when you have these social distancing uh, and face yes. masks and all these things um, implemented. Because I think that, um, and we actually will do a podcast on this, so I don't want to talk about it too much. But I think it's yeah. not a matter of people being. Um, terrible or not caring but mm-hmm. it's just really hard to implement those things into life and to see the long-term effects and there are a lot it's very complicated um, yeah yeah so there's so there's see. so much there's so much to consider like even just thinking about it regionally all over the world what's considered an appropriate amount of personal space varies mm-hmm greatly from place to place and here in Europe where people are not as spread out you you get a lot of people that are just kind of right on top of you as an American sometimes it makes me very nervous um how close people get to me Mm -hmm. um yeah so it it will be interesting to see how that plays out but I can't wait to talk to you about that in a podcast because I love what ifs and that is a whole lot of what ifing (laughs) it is going to be great um I think I did not say at the top of this podcast but I'm going to say it right now that I have two dogs with me and they both have gotten really close (laughs) they're saying hello (laughs) they're saying hello so you may hear some dogs in and out I'm going to try to um mitigate that as much as I can so apologies to our listeners but you may hear a dog from time to time making some noises yeah as dogs are wont to do yes but when we have creatures with separation anxiety it's not like you can just shut them in a room or anything (laughs) (laughs) no it's true Gus is a quiet dog, but if you put him in a room where he can't see us, then he becomes a loud dog very quickly. (laughs) Yes. So with all of these places opening up uh, and we're going out into the great wide yonder of the world again um, and experiencing being around other humans, um, there are some things we wanted to talk about. And one of them is vaccines. So a few things will become relevant as COVID-19 continues to expand its reach around the world 
and scientists are trying to make progress in coming up with solutions, um, one being a possible vaccine. And I think, Tassi, you said this best on social media when you said um, that you hate it when the small, loud group of people gets the most attention. How did you say that? Um, When, oh yeah, something like um, when people who are shouting, the, the shouting minority have a louder voice than the silent majority, basically. Yeah. Exactly. And I think vaccines are starting to become um, an interesting topic around the world because there yeah. are many people who are eagerly anticipating a vaccine for this disease. And there are people who are protesting a vaccine already <laughs> that doesn't exist. <laughs> right. Which blows my mind. Um, right. But so we thought we might want to talk about vaccines and how they work and our immune systems and how it works. Because I know from when um, I had my baby, Lucy, uh, back in 2011, I hadn't really thought about vaccines. My parents vaccinated me. Um, I, we didn't really. It wasn't a question. It was a given All in right. my household. Um, so um, basically... I didn't really think about this like very deeply until the anti-vaxxer movement kind of happened uh, after I graduated from high school and it wasn't really a huge presence in my world because I was already vaccinated. I was, you know, but when I went to have a baby in 2011 and I had to think about how we wanted to vaccinate her and um, what methods and timelines and all of those things were out there I started to become very interested in vaccines exactly how they work the different kinds of vaccines um and today we're not going to talk about all the different kinds of vaccines uh there are certain exploratory areas like DNA vaccines that in their infancy stage and uh and it would it would be kind of not a medical program we've probably said that a thousand times (laughs) yeah like this is just you and I we're curious. Like that was that was my point here. I am super strong pro vaccination. So mm-hmm. anyone so who has I. a different opinion, like that's fine. Keep listening. We are not going to shove that down your throats. We are just going to present the information as it is and you can go explore on your own. But I would encourage you to go explore on your own because you and I both had to look at the anti-vax um, side of this to make this yeah. podcast and it's worth looking at the other side to see where they're coming from yeah. um, discussing so- risk and risk management and right. uh, what would put your child at risk and there are cases where children have experienced vaccine damage so you know it, it definitely is good to know especially because if you do decide to vaccinate your child um, and they have an allergic reaction you know you know that they can't receive vaccines going forward. And mm-hmm. so, um, so yeah, so those, those kind of questions, those things can come up and there's always going to be a certain percentage of the population that cannot, um, as opposed to will not, that cannot be Im- immunized. Mm-hmm. Um, but for most of us, the vast majority, these facts hold true. Right. So our jumping off point was where did vaccines come from? 
Um, and probably throughout your history, knowledge that you've acquired throughout life, you've heard of things, you and I, as we started this, we're like, yeah, wasn't Louis Pasteur somehow involved in this and this and that. But um, it has a long history. Earliest that we know of is um, China in about 1000 CE or AD. Um, they were doing something that is not vaccination, um, but was very similar um, to where we know vaccines came from, where you would use cowpox to uh, create an immunity against smallpox. Um, so mm-hmm. this is the earliest. So if you imagine a thousand years ago, <laughs> people were like, hey, this mm-hmm. thing is happening. Um, and then there was a long history of folklore, wives tales, common knowledge, where people used different things to create some kind of immunity inoculation against different things. Um, but in China, back- didn't they like great the scabs of people who had either people or cows who had pox and sniff inhale them? Yeah, they did all kinds of things. Um, uh, you would, yeah, you would scrape. <laughs> The, the nastiness off of someone else, um, especially if someone had a really light case um, of mm-hmm. smallpox. You could do it human to human or you could use the cowpox. Um, but I think the most common that I read about is that they would create an abrasion on the skin of the healthy person and then spread that on the abrasion um, yeah. in order to transfer it. But, I just thought it was an interesting idea to sniff scab, scab dust. Yeah, you know, people... <laughs> People have done some strange things in history. Yeah, they have. <laughs> oh, it the history of the... medicine is a whole thing. Yeah, I hope somewhere people... out there in the world there's a podcast dedicated to that because. Oh, I'm sure there is. I mean, it's like it's like part terrifying, horrifying, and then part magic, right? Yes, it's interesting. <laughs> so, but I'm gonna fast forward, and I'm going to focus on um, Lady Mary Wortley. Montagu because women are amazing Mm -hmm. um so this lady she went with her husband to um the ottoman empire what is now turkey um and she heard about this smallpox inoculation that doctors in turkey were doing this with their patients for years and years and years and she was like wow her brother had actually died as a child from smallpox. So she had a major interest in keeping her children and her family safe. Um, So she witnessed what was happening in the Ottoman Empire. She got the doctor that was working at the British embassy there to agree to um, do this procedure on her children. And this was in 1718. 1718 she had her um four and a half year old son edward inoculated um then she moved back with her husband to the british uh isle and there was an epidemic that struck in 1721 and she also had her daughter inoculated at that point and she encouraged her friend Uh, Caroline, the Princess of Wales, that this was a great thing. Actually, Lady Mary Wortley Montagu was amazing. She was writing letters. She was encouraging people. She was very um, philosophic. 
Yeah, like she she just she had a lot going on in her head. An impressive lady. Um, so she got Caroline to believe, hey, this is a way to encourage um, health among our children. And now there is this epidemic that is coming out. So Caroline uh, inoculated her two daughters, Amelia and Caroline in 1722 and this is where we trace like really the acceptance of the idea of inoculation because of these two women being willing to inoculate their children and show that it was safe um because a lot of people Mm -hmm. of course were spec were um skeptical that this was something from the east and i don't know if this works on (laughs) europeans and blah 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 all the all the controversy, imagine there was controversy even back in the day. So these women yeah, yeah. were um, <laughs> were willing to believe in the science to take the doctors um, for what they said. And then that led on to um, Edward Jenner. So you have probably heard the name Edward Jenner. Um, he kind of overlaps with this time. He's a little bit later, but he was building on um, the knowledge that would have been coming um from this early 1700s what was happening um and he created the first actual vaccination um in 1796 it was the first vaccination that was performed in the way that we think of a uh, a vaccination not just taking an injunction right 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 not just taking um some of the disease and sticking it sticking it in you and hoping that that all goes well this was actually like he created a vaccination that was safe and wasn't going to create um or wasn't going not create wasn't going to cause the disease in the recipient's body so our friend dan who was on a couple weeks ago we're working on um, a history of pandemics podcast with him and so we'll be talking more about that um later in the late spring and early summer um yeah i think we're going to do a mini series of about five or six episodes um about different pandemics and going anywhere from uh the black death in europe uh in the 1300s all the way to um more modern like the spanish flu and right so i'm gonna leave edward jenner to him let's just say good guy created vaccines (laughs) And uh, <laughs> and that's where the jumping point off was, basically where we realized that, hey, we can kind of um, control some of these diseases that have been... Yeah, we can game the humanity. system a little bit. Yes, exactly. So that's like a brief history that brings us to the 1800s. Then lots of stuff happened. We're not going to get into that. But just know that there was a, a knowledge... Then people really learned how to get a hold on it. And that brings us up to how do they work? So I put together kind of a short rundown of how immunizations work inside your body. Um, I think a lot of this stuff you might know and you might know bits and pieces. You might not know exactly how it all goes together. Um, This is a very like on the surface analysis. I'm not a doctor. Um, so if you have questions, both Tassie and I have really enjoyed the publichealth.org. That's, that's the oh, website, right? 
so good. Yeah, it's so thorough and has so much information that you could really spend. Like I printed it out and read read it like I was studying it because it was it was really good. Like if you can't get your head around it, they write it in layman's terms. It's not medical. It's so like I read it and went, oh yeah, I get it. Yeah, and it's it's tough because so often those like um you know, government sponsored or um, organization sponsored websites don't get the attention that they deserve. But this one is really good. So publichealth.org, if you're looking for information or you're trying to uh, figure out, you know, like in more depth what I'm talking about. So how vaccines work. In order to understand vaccines, we kind of have to understand our immune system and how it works. Our immune system is divided into two different functions. There's the innate immunity, which means these cells oftentimes live on our skin or are part of like the mucous membranes or organs, like in your nose, mouth, eyes, tears, those things, Uh, stomach acids. Those are not specifically designed to kill anything, um, targeted they're just keeping stuff out right? yeah they're just keeping stuff out like you you've probably heard people talk about the gut biome or genital biomes like a place that is is kept in order by your body naturally and that's kind of your innate immunity and then there's adaptive immunity and that's specific and learned so whether you whether that happens naturally whether you have the chicken pox once and then your body figures out the antibodies that correspond to the chicken pox and then your memory cells remember that and the next time you're faced with those germs you don't get it or whether you're vaccinated um that is your adaptive immunity mm-hmm. so basically your body has over 100 trillion bacteria and viruses living on it at any given time hello little farm of bacteria <laughs> and virus And some of the latest studies, like some scientists are positing that only 40% of your body is made of human stuffs and the rest is bacteria. I love that. Isn't that crazy? It's our guts. I I remember reading that about your gut that like actually the whole digestive system is not you. (laughs) I know. Isn't that so cool? It is. Um, So most illnesses and diseases, if you have strong gut biome you have strong immune system so your body's working the way that it should don't even make it through the first line of defense which is your skin and the mucous Mm -hmm. membranes on your nose and stuff like that um if your immune system is attacked so something a germ a bacteria a virus gets through your skin and into your body your body immediately recognizes it as an intruder and your white blood cells all come to the defense. Mm-hmm. So these bacterias and viruses all have proteins and sugars like on their surfaces that have different shapes. And what happens is your white blood cells starts putting out antibodies and it starts trying out different antibodies to see which ones will stick to the virus. And your body is putting billions of white blood cells to work to figure out what this intruder is made of what shape it is, and then produce antibodies that can stick to those particular shapes. So producing antibodies of the right shape, 
can take several days though. So while your body is producing antibodies of the right shape, you are ill. Um, and meanwhile, before the antibodies come to work, the bacteria or virus has had time to reproduce inside its comfy new host. So mm -hmm. you are symptomatic at this point. You can also be contagious at this point uh, because the bacteria is sort of running rampant or, or virus is running rampant in your body and you are a spreader of that particular germ. So whether you're symptomatic or not, anytime this virus is or bacteria is living inside your body, you become a spreader. Once the right cells are activated, they quickly divide, creating the factory to produce um, a barrage of antibodies, which are exactly the right shape. And eventually your body destroys all the bacteria and you recover. Mm -hmm. And those antibodies remain in cells and certain white blood cells become what's called memory cells that go to sleep until that exact same intruder attacks again. So like in the instance of chickenpox, uh, once you have chickenpox, you develop an immunity to it because that particular virus, your body can memorize those shapes. It sleeps in your cells. And then for the rest of your life, in most cases, you don't get the chickenpox again. Right, right. Oh, have I said bodies are amazing yet? <laughs> I know, right? Like these little, like, you have just a whole library of, like, billions of cells that have learned about billions of different diseases. Some viruses mutate so quickly that every year, like the flu vaccine is an example of this. Um, your body doesn't have the antibodies every year that it needs, even though you've had the flu maybe the year before, or you've had the vaccine the year before, because the strain of the flu that is spreading at that particular moment is not the strain that you were vaccinated for before. Right. And there's also some limitation to immunity sometimes, right? Yes. So like you could have, you won't get the common cold again for six months, but then you, your body forgets, <laughs> loses that memory. And then it comes back after six months or a year. Yeah. And there's a whole tangent about antibiotics and how that affects your body's a naturally natural ability to produce antibodies when you're sick, uh, whether you should use antibiotics or not, uh, how often they should be used, um, what happens when you use them too much. That's like a whole different can of worms. But mm -hmm. um, as far as vaccines go, to you know, to summarize, vaccines activate your immune system to create the exact right antibodies without you having to get ill. Um, they contain usually either weakened or dead viruses. And mm -hmm. sometimes they can even, scientists even like are able and doctors are able to pull apart the virus or the bacteria and just send in like the proteins and sugars. And that's enough to wake up your immune system and send the cavalry so that you don't actually get sick, but your body's doing all that work. And a lot of times that's why like, for instance, with your child, like, when they get certain vaccines, they get a fever or they get a rash or right. they have some sort of Right, because it's just your body, your body trying to figure out what's happening 
sending out exactly cells. Mm -hmm. exactly and I think that it's scary to a lot of people but it actually means that the vaccine is doing its job the body is doing its job it's doing exactly what it needs to do Mm -hmm. in order for your child to become immune to that disease um which brings us to herd immunity and vaccinations and herd immunity is interesting because this this takes a different perspective on vaccination so you've got like your own personal uh, perspective on like you know whether or not you won't want to risk getting a disease um so whether or not you will vaccinate for the flu or you will vaccinate for the you know required vaccinations or strongly suggested mm-hmm. um vaccinations to be in school or things like that um did you have to have vaccine records to go to university and live in the dorms Tess? yes yeah we had to have like a scratch test um oh yeah i, I remember. remember that i definitely remember that you had to have the vaccination card from your childhood mm-hmm. yeah i think we had to prove that like we weren't sick Right. And then I think we had a meningitis outbreak my first year, second year, and the university paid for almost everyone to get a meningitis vaccination. I remember. And the meningitis, our generation, the meningitis vaccine was created after we were in the childhood phase. Right. So a lot of us are not, I don't know that I'm vaccinated for meningitis. Um, But I know that Lucy is, for instance. Um, Mm -hmm. So, yeah, so when I was making decisions, Lucy's immune system uh, was a question because she went into the hospital immediately, after, like three or four days after she was born. Uh, she she was sick, and by day seven, she was in the PICU um, because she had RSV, which is another respiratory infection, which in adults presents as the common cold in infants. Um, especially infants younger than two months can be fatal. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so she had a fairly severe case of this. She had her oxygen levels were down to only about 70%. Um, she had like little blue toes and blue fingers and she Aww. had to be in a clean room. We had to wear masks and I couldn't hold her for several hours while they uh, got everything like her uh, intubation and all of that stuff set up and, um, she was tested for, you know, a million other things to make sure that she was otherwise healthy. Um, but yeah, so we had to make some decisions when she became healthy um, about whether or not her immune system suffered any damage from that bout of RSV. And then we had to decide whether or not to vaccinate her. So we found a doctor that I loved and we had found her before Lucy was born. So it really had nothing to do with vaccines. But um, we'd found a doctor that really, like, helped us think through the process. And we limited her vaccines to she could only get two at a time mm-hmm. uh, rather than four. Um, typically, on a normal vaccine schedule in the U.S., you get two in each leg every time you went in to be vaccinated. And so right. what we did was we did it in the same window. We just didn't do it all at once. Mm-hmm. So for, you know, like the two month vaccines, we went in one week for two vaccines. And then two weeks later, we went in for the other two. 
Right. So we went to the doctor twice as much, but essentially she was on the same schedule as everybody else. Mm-hmm. Maybe slightly delayed at certain points, but um, so and we found it worked for her. So I'm sure that your doctor was talking to you a lot about herd immunity because if you're not able to vaccinate or if you're yeah. vaccinating later, that's where herd immunity is really important because as yes. you were saying, like the individual is not the whole picture. Right. Because vaccines protect individuals from disease, but it also keeps you from becoming a spreader of the disease. Um, if you don't have it, if you don't have a disease, you can't pass it along. So if your body's been invaded by a virus or bacteria and you've essentially fought it off without becoming symptomatic, you're not spreading it. So that's Mm -hmm. herd immunity in the way that we're talking about it. There's a lot of discussion about herd immunity um, around coronavirus. And I feel like that's kind of a different thing. Yeah. They're using the same words, but it's a different concept. Um, we're using it in terms of like community protection, basically. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like your community all gets together and says, those of us who can vaccinate, we will vaccinate so that those of us who can't vaccinate are still protected. Right. So the and list th- of people who can't be vaccinated is actually, it, it can be sizable because you have all newborn babies. Mm-hmm. Um Senior citizens with with weakened immune systems can't get certain vaccinations, mm-hmm. uh, like the live ones. Um, they they can't get those because our immune systems weaken as we age. Cancer patients mm-hmm. that are doing chemo and radiation, they have a compromised immune system because their medicine is killing all bacteria, good and bad. Um, or people who have had an organ transplant. Uh-huh. which I didn't realize this, but it ma- makes total sense. Like once you start messing with that, then your immune system is going yeah. to have to go on like overdrive in order to keep your body like in, in safe, safe mode. And then certain people who just don't respond to vaccines for reasons we fully, we don't fully understand. So mm-hmm. sometimes you can get vaccinated and you still aren't immune and we don't know why. Right. These are people body... that get chicken pox twice, for example. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's an extremely small percentage of the population, but um, but it exists. So when you think about like, well, I'm not going to vaccinate my child because everybody else is vaccinating their child and it'll protect. Uh, when you think about like measles, for instance, that has to have a 95% immune rate in right. order to be. And, and the vaccine is effective. 99% of people who get the vaccine do not get ill. Mm-hmm. But 95% of people in a community have to be vaccinated in order for it to not, in order for there to not be outbreaks. Right. And this is actually a huge problem right now because a lot of Western countries have fallen be- below that 95%. So if you think this is mm-hmm. a developing nation problem, this is not. This is a Western problem. Um, and you can go and you can look at the statistics. Um, the WHO has actually taken away the title of um, measles-free from several countries um, because mm-hmm. the numbers of uh, vaccinated have dropped. Um, and what happens is I will link this in the show notes, but um, there was a quite well-known case um, in the early 2000s in the UK where um, 
the percentage of children in this community dropped below um, and they started to get a measles outbreak and it cost an incredible amount of money, like Mm. millions of euros um, because you have to go and find all those people that weren't vaccinated. And it was interesting because families that had chosen voluntarily not to vaccinate were in their doctor's office asking, please, is there any way I don't want my 12 year old to get this because um, it is not a nice thing to have. Um, Your child may survive, like measles is not a thing that has like a super high mortality rate, but it can cause all kinds of problems, especially in older children. There can be brain damage and brain hemorrhage. There's it's, that, like, there's a super um, scary component to measles where it can go and hibernate in your brain for a while and then just one day activate and then boom, you're dead. Yeah. So um, these parents were coming to the doctors and the doctor's like, we don't have the vaccination readily available. And if you've been exposed, you can't be vaccinated because that can cause mm-hmm. all kinds of problems. And um, and it cost millions of euros and man hours and worry and all kinds of things. Um, and this is the reason why herd immunity is important and that we have to keep those numbers of vaccinations um, high enough in the community because it's not about, well, we don't see it in our community right now. Like there isn't a measles outbreak in, I don't know, Springfield, wherever, but um, we know that the world is global and people travel and they go Mm -hmm. here and they go there and they bring things from wherever they've been. Um, And so it's not just your small community that you have to worry about, but if um, you go out into the larger world and most children will grow up and go out into the larger world, um, Mm -hmm. then that can become a problem and then yeah and then the weakest among us the kids that aren't able to be vaccinated for health reasons um become incredibly vulnerable and also there's the problem that people who don't get vaccinated tend to live together in communities and then outbreaks can happen in those communities and then if you know everywhere around you doesn't have the 95 percent because MMR is the controversial vaccine that um, was written about in 1997, right, Tassie? Right, right. So um, what was his name? Andrew Whitaker. I have to make sure that's right before I slander. <laughs> Find the guy's name. But he wrote a paper and had like, a lot of pseudoscience. Andrew in this Wakefield. Andrew, Andrew Wakefield. Wakefield. Not Whitaker. Whitaker, you're <laughs> safe. Um, but he wrote a paper positing that the MMR vaccine could cause autism. And as we all know, the power of suggestion is very strong. Um, and so he wrote this paper, 1997 we started to see a drastic drop of people immunizing for measles, mumps, and rubella. That paper has been thoroughly debunked. Thoroughly debunked. The doctor, yeah, thoroughly debunked. Uh, The doctor has been stripped of his medical license. He's not allowed to practice medicine anymore. Um, And there was a good quote by, on the public health website that said, vaccines 
don't just work on an individual level. They protect entire populations. Once enough people are immunized, opportunities for an outbreak of disease become so low, even people who aren't immunized benefit. Essentially, a bacteria or virus simply won't have enough eligible hosts to establish a foothold and will eventually die out entirely. This phenomenon is called herd immunity or community immunity. Yeah. So, and this is really important right now. We just read an NPR article this week um, about communities trying to make sure that the immunization of um, children stays on schedule because Mm -hmm. what is happening because of the lockdown with coronavirus is that you are going to end up with a generation that may have missed some of these childhood vaccinations. So Mm -hmm. coronavirus is serious, but um, if you have a whole generation that misses out on MMR or uh, these other um, vaccinations, um, we could in 10 years see epidemics and pandemics of things that were relatively under control. So um, doctors are doing good things. They're trying to get out there into their communities um, in various Yeah, because I think a lot of people think of the doctor's office as kind of a dangerous place um, because people who are sick go to doctor's offices, right? Right. Um, So if you're sick with coronavirus or whatever, you would go to a doctor to get, well, hopefully tested or at least assessed. Um, And so a lot of people are kind of afraid to take their children to doctor's offices right now. Uh, which is understandable. And one thing I loved about that article was that the doctor was actually taking her, like she was herself in a van um, going out uh, a truck, I think. Driving to the neighborhoods, maybe. yeah. Yeah, driving to neighborhoods and vaccinating children in her little mobile office. And that's amazing mm-hmm. uh, that we're seeing that happen. I hope that starts happening in more places so that, you know, people don't have to be afraid of going to get their vaccinations and they can get their kids vaccinated in timely fashion. And we don't have to have like a, another measles outbreak. Yes. So we have talked a lot about risks and myths. And again, on our very favorite website that we were talking about, you can go to the publichealth.org and they have eight myths debunked. Um, and they outline people's major concerns Um, in a really comprehensive, great way with lots of research supporting it. So if you Mm -hmm. not sure, go check it out. Or if you want some information to back up your own opinions, go there, check it out. Um, It's great. Uh, Just, I just to to let you know, the numbers are really, really small. We're also going to link to a video. But um, from 10 million vaccinations, approximately 120 children will have a bad reaction. 10 mm-hmm. million vaccinations, 120 bad reactions. Um, and no um, confirmed deaths have happened in the last, I think, 30 years, 40 years. Um, there are a handful under 10 where they say there's some possibility, but like really the numbers are unbelievably right. low if you start going into that. So we're not yeah. going to, just to let you know. Um, they are very important. So, coronavirus, COVID-19, why don't we have a vaccination? And will there be a vaccination? And when will there be a vaccination? Jan? We don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Nobody does. Isn't this a fun game? 
Uh, there are so many questions. And again, you and I, not doctors, not scientists. Nope. So many questions. So, so um, many questions. We don't know if we actually can become immune to coronavirus. Yeah. Because there's certain diseases like HIV where they've been working on vaccines for over 40 years and still haven't come up with anything that's viable. So mm-hmm. we don't, I mean, we're at the very, very early stages of examining this virus. And so far, it has surprised us in many ways. If you would like to know about those ways, <laughs> um, there are plenty of news articles that are out there. People talking so about you know articles. strange cases. Yeah, um, we won't spend time on that right now because that's not really what we do. Um, but yeah, the vaccine. We hope that it's on the way. We know that there are people who are actually in testing phases. We don't know if those tests will be positive. We know that there have been philanthropists like Bill Gates are funding six different teams of scientists that are trying to find a vaccine for it, um, which is an extraordinary cost. And I know that there are some, uh, there are some rumors about Bill Gates, but we will also ignore that because none of that is substantiated at all. And, and so right now we're kind of looking at a situation where we don't know if this virus is something that we're going to be able to inoculate populations um, for, or if we're going to have to figure, if our bodies are going to have to figure it out on their own and life will look different. Um, In fact, we want to do a whole episode on projections and imaginations that um, people have had around us about what life will look like as we all sort of emerge from our our hovels all white and pasty and (laughs) (laughs) without proper antibodies anymore (laughs) right so there is hope Um, i want to say that in a like nobody knows it's um a dire situation nobody knows there are lots of people that are saying that they think this is possible it's just that we don't have a vaccine because they don't know yet um, which is why they're testing so many different things. And like you had said, like there's this DNA vaccine idea. I read that that's like hopeful with this situation. Like there's just so much. And um, I'm glad that there are smart people out there figuring it out. <laughs> Me too. Thank you, scientists. And thank, thank you, doctors you. who are working around the clock right now to examine this thing and tear it apart and right. figure out what how it works and it's long-term effects. And so I would like to wrap it up with one last quote from publichealth.org. They're going to hear about us because we're going to say their name a thousand times on this episode, but I, I just love this. I think this is the summary of how you and I feel. So vaccines are one of the great pillars of modern medicine. Life used to be especially brutal for children before vaccines with huge mm-hmm. portions being felled by diseases like measles, smallpox, whooping cough, or rubella, to name just a few. Today, these ailments can be completely prevented with a simple injection. So as science continues to advance and tackle new challenges, people should not forget how many deaths and illnesses vaccines have prevented and how they continue to protect us from potentially devastating forms of infectious disease. Yes. So maybe instead of soap is the MVP. Vaccines. <laughs> Vaccines are definitely a historical Actually, it's a MVP. Combination. Those two things together. MVP. Yes. Yeah. 
Hygiene and vaccination, they're tops. Tops. (laughs) So to leave us today, I have a moment of qualm. A moment of qualm. Qualm. (laughs) So to leave us today, I have a moment of calm from Abraham Lincoln. He said... You is cannot, it really Abraham Lincoln? It is really Abraham Lincoln. <laughs> he said you can't tr- trust anything you read on the internet. No. <laughs> <laughs> Abraham Lincoln said you cannot escape the responsibility of tomorrow by evading it today. Mm. Good word, Abe. Good word. So... January, I absolutely love talking science with you. Um, thank you for letting me and the dogs. <laughs> yes, the dogs were the dogs are our special guests today. So <laughs> as long as we're all in quarantine, guys, podcast uh, recording recording uh, standards are going to be a little but, bit low. I do not feel bad. Have you been listening to other people's podcasts from their closets yeah. and yeah. their wherever they're making them like these are people that have far more professional support than we do and I laugh sometimes like some of the ones from the BBC where they're doing their shows from home and like the kids are walking in and people are screaming in the background I'm like hey we're not doing that bad Conan O'Brien and like they had like (laughs) he had like people popping in as like 14 year old sons in the background (laughs) (laughs) so this is life under (laughs) coronavirus guys Yes. We would apologize, so, but we really shouldn't because this is just life. No, it's true. Thank you for joining us in season two. Um, it's going to be a good summer. Yes. Very excited about this new season. Tassie and I have so much that we want to talk about oh um, along this vein as, as per usual. <laughs> <laughs> this shouldn't come as a surprise to you. So, so um, much to talk about, even so though we've much. been talking nonstop for two months. Exactly. <laughs> At least now, like, we're pairing it back. Pairing it back. Now it's a weekly episode instead of a daily episode, so you're not going to hear about, like, the weird cereal we had for breakfast this morning. (laughs) (laughs) We're shifting gears a little bit. A little bit. So, yeah. Oh, well, enjoy the rest of your day. It always makes my day when I hear your voice. Oh, same, same. (laughs) Bye. Bye. Thanks for listening to this week's episode of From Quarantine. We are live on all platforms, so you can find us on everything from the big guys like Apple Podcasts and Spotify to your favorite podcast apps. You can get updates on our episodes on Instagram. Just search for From Quarantine, and you can find our full show notes on our website, quarantine.cz. We would love it if you would like and share our episodes with your friends. But if you could also take a moment to rate us on Apple Podcasts and Spotify, that would help us out tremendously. Thanks again, and we'll see you next week. This podcast is brought to you by the coronavirus outbreak. Live together. Dialogue. And our immune system, I can't speak.
this is going to be fun to edit. <laughs>